This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at Hey, it's Rachel Cook, your modern mentor, and I am so excited to share today's episode with you. You know, there's been a lot of buzz these days around the concepts of inclusion and belonging, and we know they are important drivers of employee engagement and retention. We all want to feel that experience of being included and have that sense of belonging, and we want to help to create that same experience for colleagues and team members around us. But how to make that happen sometimes? it can feel really mysterious. I had the opportunity to speak with Bain and Company's Julie Kaufman and Nishma Gozrani about these very topics. Julie is Bain's Chief Diversity Officer and the leader of their global diversity, equity, and inclusion practice. And Nishma is a partner in Bain's financial services practice whose work focuses on human capital transformation and the future of work and culture. Both Julie and Nishma bring a wealth of data-backed research and their own personal experience to the table in this really rich conversation around what truly drives the experience of inclusion and belonging at work and what actions any of us can take as leaders or just regular citizens in the room to amplify those experiences for ourselves and for those around us. Julie Kaufman and Nishma Gosrani, thank you so much to both of you for joining me on Modern Mentor today. I am so excited to be talking to both of you about your research. Excited as well, Rachel. Thanks so much for having us. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. So I would love to start with both of you on a little bit of background. So, you know, I know for me, before I started my business, I spent years working in corporate HR Back in the day when the focus was really on diversity and it was about checking boxes and there was very much a mentality around bringing in the right people and then once you had them sitting around the table, your work was done. I love that we have expanded the conversation now out to concepts like inclusion and belonging and I would love to start with each of you just sharing kind of what that means to you and what has driven both of you to your passion for this work. Julia, let's start with you. Sure. Thanks so much. And I really resonate with what you said. For me, the notions of equity and inclusion, belonging, all of that is really, really critical because there's no point in assembling 
a group of diverse individuals unless you've set up an organizational construct where everyone can contribute at the top of their capabilities and feel like they are valued and rewarded and uh, thriving in the process of doing that. And so for me, um, I've been at Bain and Company over 30 years, and a lot of our focus has been on we need to attract and retain the world's best business talent in order to serve our clients with the insight, the innovation, the breakthrough ideas to help them drive real results in their companies. And therefore, it's critical for us to be able to have a workplace where individuals are fueled by a sense of belonging, support, and trust in everything that they do. And that means that leadership behaviors matter. It means that structures, systems, and processes matter. It means that little moments of truth matter and that we need to up our game on understanding the role all of us play in the attraction and retention of talent of all backgrounds in order to feel like they can really contribute collectively at Bain in a way that's going to make us, you know, the greatest company in the world serving the greatest clients in the world. Absolutely. Really well said. Thank you. Nishma, what would you add to that? So, uh, Rachel, so my, my background is slightly different. And actually, I come at it slightly differently from Julie. So I've been in the financial services industry for the last 17 years, where I focused as a consultant serving clients on the entire employee value proposition. Um, so D&I, of course, is a key part of that. And Asia, as an Asian woman in the financial services industry, uh, the subject is extremely close to my heart. Uh, about four or five years ago, I worked with the UK government in uh, taking gender pay gap reporting from where it was to the next level. In fact, pioneering the concept. So as you'll know, many organizations in the UK are now part of what we call the Women in Finance Charter and have to report on, on gender pay gap. Um, I work with a number of financial services clients on DEI and as the financial regulatory authority in the UK is now asking for organizations to ensure that DEI is right at the top of the agenda with you know some very um, fierce and strategic targets, it makes roles like mine ever more important. Yeah, that, that's a great perspective to layer on. And, and thank you for sharing that. I, I have to imagine it's a little bit challenging or historically, it's certainly been a little bit challenging being a woman in finance. I, I know that we are creeping and stepping in the right direction. And I know that we are starting to see more equity. Keep me honest. I believe we're starting to see more equity at the junior and mid-levels. And it's really when we start to get into that C-suite where we see more of that discrepancy coming up. And I'm sure pay equity is a piece of it, but not all of it. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more. So, you know, I love what you said, Nishma, about kind of fairness and equity and how critical that is. And you, you know, in the research that you've done, you really make the business case for inclusion. Yes, it's about being fair. And yes, it's about doing the right thing. But it's also there is a business imperative, right? Our, our client base looks not all like white men, right? And so there is there is a real business imperative for having a diverse population that isn't just sitting in the company, but actually is empowered to, to have a voice and influence strategy and actions that you take. One of the things that really fascinated me about your research, and I'd love to hear each of you talk about this, was you know, you talk about how important it is for people to feel included, to feel a sense of belonging. It drives their discretionary effort. It drives their willingness to recommend an employer. And yet when you ask somebody, what is it that makes you feel included? It seems like you're finding that people are actually struggling to answer that question. It's almost like, I know when I don't feel included, but if if I need to describe what it feels like, I struggle to do that a little bit. And I would love for each of you to talk about how that finding landed with you and how you think about that. 
based on some of the research that we've been doing, Rachel, that I think you're referring to, I mean, there's an urgent reality that we confront, right? And it's that we must not only recognise, but act upon what the status today is of women. Um, I mean, and I refer to UK financial services, but that's across the board. And we know that it's at those senior levels. It's far from where it should be. And actually that present uh, pace of progress, as we've set out in the blueprint, is just not slow, but it's glacial, right? So when we speak to chief executives, Executives, we know that there is a real willingness to wanting to change the sector that they're in, in particular in financial services. But the numbers are stark, and you will have seen that in the in the graphs that we lay out in the blueprint. You know, two years on in 2020, there was a figure of something like 32.3 percent, a change of less than a single percentage point. Yet you're seeing, you know, some very glossy initiatives in the industry, um, and we're seeing senior women moving around from one institution to another. But actually, the rate of progress is really slow. What we know is what we're seeing is simply not good enough, right? It's not good enough for me, it's not good enough for the industry, and it's certainly not good enough for the country that we live in, but also for the future of our daughters. But what does that do for inclusion and how do we measure it? So one of the things that's very close to me and close to Bain, if I was to pull upon that, is that we measure inclusion on a weekly basis, on every case that we undertake with a client. And those results are personally tracked by the relevant managing partner. And when those results are not right, an intervention is made so that we can set the highest possible bar on inclusion, which actually is very true to Bain culture. What we know is things like annual employee surveys are simply just not good enough anymore. So Rachel, on the research question, one of the things that we found most interesting on this global piece of research we did around inclusive organizations, where we interviewed over 9,000 people across seven countries, multiple industries, and really asked them exactly what you said, can you describe what it feels like when you are included? And it was amazing how similarly people could describe the feeling of being included. I feel heard. I feel recognized and rewarded and valued. And I feel like I belong in my organization. If you then ask them, what does it take? to drive that feeling of being included, that's where the variance, as you just well said, really showed up. And that folks picked vastly different things. And what we found was that your own demographic identity, especially intersectionally across many elements of your identity, had a different bespoke thumbprint on what mattered to you. For some folks, it was a little bit more about in the moment leadership behaviors and how people either gave transparent feedback or were able to um, talk them through a tricky situation. Other groups found more importance in some of the rituals and norms of the organization and what was expected and what was done or the systems and processes that were in place. And so there's a lot of different things that can contribute to your feeling of inclusion. And it was pretty disparate on what mattered to which group in our research. And so that's why we realized that you can describe what it feels like in a more uh, homogenous way, if you will, but what it takes to get that feeling is pretty diverse across a whole bunch of different identity vectors. That really stood out for me because I know, you know, a lot of my work is working with executive leaders who certainly recognize the call to action around being drivers of inclusion. And they seem legitimately interested in and concerned about doing the right thing. And yet when it comes to how do I turn that that care and that desire into a set of practices or actions? How do I know if I'm doing this right? I think there's a little bit of a deer in headlights situation for some of those executive leaders. A lot of what our research paper on inclusive organizations the highlighted was that for a number of different groups, there were some things that were top 10 for them in terms of levers that could matter. 
number one by far, which was nine, was in the top 10 for 90% of our different groups that we tested, was transparent feedback and growth opportunities. So actually being uh, given constructive, real feedback in a real good moment where you can inflect your own trajectory and you feel like there are real growth opportunities for you. There's an opportunity to develop and there's someone giving you that feedback and coaching you along the way to help you grow. All of us, I think, show up in the workplace every day and want to do our jobs well. And I think the vast majority of folks feel more included when there's a little bit more specificity on like what it will take for them to continue to progress in their career. A second area that, again, was pretty ubiquitous was being able to find a really good connection at work, having a good friend or a mentor or a sponsor. And we could get into what those things are, but having some connectivity with somebody at work that got to know you as a person. And that was really important. And so, therefore, the roles of things like employee resource groups or other activities to drive a sense of connection can make a big difference. And then the third one that, again, for at least 50% of the groups mattered a lot was knowing that this was on the commitment level of the, of the senior team, that this was a strong ambition to drive inclusion, to drive diversity, to continue to uh, help the organization progress against some stated ambitions. And being clear and signaling commitment to those outcomes made a difference to individuals to know I'm at an organization that cares about these topics. So those are the three that rose to the top from our research paper. And I think delving into that, Julie, and I think there's some great nuggets there. You know, culture is not always role modeled by CEO and senior management. And whilst we think that might be the case, that definitely isn't the case. So, you know, for example, some of the areas that we looked at, we found that only 11% um, incentivize senior leaders to role model parental leave. You know, something like under 30% publicize and celebrate take up of parental leave and flexible working options um, by senior management. And actually, you know, only 50% of CEOs actively promote gender parity programs and flex options. We also found that inclusive structures are not in place. So, you know, very small percentage have transparency around people who are exited for harassment or inappropriate behavior. Um, something like 36% have an inclusive meeting protocol to ensure that the right people are at the table to eliminate group think. I mean, group think has become you know, uh, certainly a big thing. Uh, 39% forbid official business meetings in traditionally male-dominated spaces. In the UK, that's very much in Europe, golf courses or pubs after 7pm. You know, and, and what we also found is that inclusivity is just not monitored. So you had a large number of organisations putting great initiatives in place to try and get inclusivity up, but actually then it's not monitored. They just fail to do it. So 38% also use social listening tools to understand sentiment and even less than half conduct an annual cultural diagnostic to assess and benchmark um, cultural maturity of an organization was just incredibly important. Those are all such great examples and they're interesting points. And I'm I'm connecting it to what Julie said, you know, as you talk about those three relatively ubiquitous drivers uh, of inclusion across, you know, I heard kind of feedback, career growth and development. I heard connection to a mentor, to community. And then I heard that executive leadership commitment. And yet I feel like, what I'm hearing from Nishma, and I experienced this in my own life as well, is I'll talk to teams who will say, yeah, our leadership talks a great talk, but they're not role modeling it. They're not enabling it. They're not monitoring it. And so my experience says a lot of people are in that situation. They're not sitting in the C-suite. They're part of an organization that has all the right talking points and maybe even has all the right intentions. But inclusion is not being monitored. It's not being really brought to life through practice and action. And so 
what can we do if we are a citizen in a company, we want to be part of change? Do you have any thoughts or recommendations around that? I think it's a great question. And I think there is power for sure in in the middle of any organization trying to go middle out and really drive these things. And so I think part of this is what is the team environment you find yourself in? So whether it's a project team, whether you're part of a functional team, but what is the environment? Is there a way to suggest to the leader of that team or whatnot that um, in the spirit of continuing to build a great team that can do great work together, might we you know, invest a little bit of time in building an inclusive environment? So it's getting to know each other a little bit, asking a few more questions about background, about what people care about. What are you like when you're under stress is a good icebreaker sometimes to both in the spirit of being able to talk about, look, we want to work cohesively together, but there's lots going on for all of us individually. Understanding how you show up when you're under stress will help all of us support you well, or what are the things that could be um, else on your plate besides this work we're doing together, whether that's outside the workplace. You know, I'm a parent, I'm dealing with an aging parent, I'm very involved in my church, whatever the things are. There's lots of things that human beings are doing besides the work. When we know each other as our work teammates with a bit more of a holistic lens, I think that builds the basis of I feel safer, I feel mm-hmm. trusted, I feel valued, I feel like someone is here. And so I think there's ways to try and build in a bit more of a inclusive lens to any given team room, if you will, that can start the journey towards, ah, and then now, how do I check in with you to see how things are going? How am I giving feedback and asking for more feedback is sort of a build on that, but it's a foundational step that at least comes to my mind as you, as you ask that question of what folks can do. That's really helpful. And that's really well said. And, and candidly, if you are sitting in the middle of an organization, it does sometimes take a little bit of courage to do that. But what I heard you do there was you're not presenting it as an opportunity for Kumbaya. You're sort of presenting it through the lens of let's really amplify our ability to to coalesce and collaborate as a team. Here are some strategies. We might do that by, by bringing our whole selves to the table, by having conversation that isn't always about strategy and implementation. We're just getting to know each other, connecting, understanding our natural styles and, and how we best engage with each other. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring. Full throttle is half the fun. Where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. (laughs) Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, Supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's Next Level Supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. 
Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And I think there's something about, uh, Rachel, to your point, you know, it's often difficult as middle management to be asking questions around inclusion. And, you know, you feel that the responsibility is with the senior team and they should know what they're doing. But I think there are some legitimate questions that can be asked um, and, and done in a, in a in a gentle way to some extent. You know, and I think um, it's important for organisations to be challenged on, on some of these. It could be as simple as, you know, do you cascade targets through all levels of the organisation? Is your senior management, for example, um, being held financially accountable for, for progress against targets. I mean, those have become extremely important recently. Do you have a sponsorship spine? Um, and I think Julie alluded to this earlier, set up through the organisations. Many that we interviewed as part of the research that we did didn't, and we were quite surprised by that. Um, you know, a lot of the investment banks are very glossy initiatives, but they weren't measuring the impact of their initiatives and making the adjustments as required. You know, how is risk managed? So when you manage risk, um, you know, through risk registers or through a, a sort of formal risk program that the CRO leads, um, is DNI managed in that exact same way? You actively managing the risk of your DNI transformation program. And I think all those questions can be legitimately asked. You know, I know we've mentioned it's it's hard, even a couple of years later, it's it's hard not to still reference COVID and the pandemic and all of the many, many implications that have just touched so many pieces of us. And I'm curious, I feel like from my end, I'm seeing both the good and the bad of it, right? I feel like in some ways there's been a push towards equality because we were all working from home and that's been a bit normalized. There's also some inequality that has really shown itself in terms of the reality, particularly around women and also people um, in lower socioeconomic classes. I'm curious what your observations of of the COVID pandemic has been, because my understanding is your your research and your work in this space well predates that pandemic. So how has that impacted your your research, but also your personal experiences and points of view? great question is maybe I'll start with a couple of thoughts. I mean, I do think that you hit something really important, which is the burdens of trying to work through this pandemic have not been borne equally. And certainly for primary caregivers with younger children, which tend to be more women than not, it has been awfully difficult during this time. For folks in different socioeconomic brackets or with less access to either technology, support in the family, et cetera, or with those that have been higher exposure to the virus itself or around other immunocompromised folks, all of that has played in and weighed heavily on people's mental health, as well as their ability to work in the way that they used to pre this virus. It is critical to try and both meet people where they are and understand the various things that are working on their time, and then try and build back with the appropriate nods to flexibility where we can, but also the recognition of that what's required to continue to progress and grow and develop for individuals and for organizations through this period, right? So I think that there's this learning that there's a heck of a lot more variance and flexibility that we can introduce into how we work and still do great work. But conversely, it doesn't hit the same for everyone. And so we shouldn't just assume in a, in a sort of ubiquitous sort of way that it's better, worse for mass cohorts. We should talk with individuals and also Think about how do we sort of establish what the new normal is going to look like for our company, for our purpose, for our own cultures, and in a way to invite people to participate in that with the broader realizations and learnings through this past two years. So 
I don't think it can be a broad sweeping mandate for all in the same way. At the same time, I don't think you can have, you know, uh, units of one and one and one at a time and still maintain a sense of connection to the organization. Because we do know people have felt uh, alone and they have felt less supported during this time. And looking at squares on a Zoom screen is just not the same as interacting with your colleagues. Nishma, what, what comes up for you? I think very similar. I think challenge, um, understanding the challenges of diverse employees and what they were grappling with through COVID, the COVID-19 environment, we were definitely conducting as part of the survey that we did, interviewing a number of people um, across the board, particularly uh, from a financial services lens. And what we discovered was that workers across demographic groups and geographies reported a remarkably similar set of challenges related to mental health work-life balance and then workplace health and safety, particularly those bankers and traders that had to be on the floor. So a real missing sense of connectivity and belonging with colleagues, um, but concerns about job opportunities as well in a sector that I think has been hit really hard. So I think there are there are two, um, there are also some differences. So the severity and prevalence of these challenges, such as with mental health, were far higher in developing countries than in developed nations, as you'd expect. Um, among diverse groups, these concerns were both higher in number and they were felt with greater urgency. So women were particularly worried early on about their mental health. They're also more concerned that men uh, about increased household responsibilities, obviously, you know, the, the stress and double shift that, in, um, that continue to be a gendered issue around the world. Women in emerging economies such as India and Brazil were two to three times more likely to report challenges as their peers in developed countries, suggesting that gender and local context may have had a compounding effect. And then if you look at the LGBT community, again, you know, very similar um, similar issues being being sort of uh, talked about. So, nine out of ten executives were surveyed in our report with challenges in executing their own DNI strategies. We felt that DNI would drop down their agenda. Um, although companies have responded rapidly, employees, in particular diverse employees and working parents, are still struggling post pandemic with the multitude of challenges that were posed during the pandemic. And the results, only sort of one in six diverse employees actually feel more supportive now as a result of the the pandemic. So really interesting, Rachel, um, Julie, on some of that, not quite where we expected it to be. Um, And I think, you know, what comes out of it now, um, despite the sobering data, I think leaders actually have an opportunity to build a more equitable, inclusive workplace that will strengthen their organisations far beyond COVID-19. And I think it's an opportunity that businesses have to take. They've got to seize the moment. They're better placed to support their employees, but they'll also drive sustainable business performance. Absolutely. Really well said. Very clear call to action. So thank you. So there is absolutely a heavy accountability sitting on the shoulders of leaders. I think there is also an accountability, as we've discussed, sitting on people in terms of advocating up Um, engaging their leaders in some of these conversations. I would love to hit more of a a lateral point of view. So what can we be doing wherever we're sitting in an organization just to show up as, as allies, as collaborators, as active participants in the conversation, just across the aisle? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I love the question. Maybe I'll get us started because I do think we've thought a lot about what are some practical ways that any individual can drive inclusion in the organization, but also just continue to drive this learning and development journey that we're all on, I think, to better understand each other. And so part of that 
we talk about, you know, committing to the journey. And so part of that is diversifying perspectives. There's a little exercise any of us could do, but if you think about who's in your network, and I don't mean like just business network, but just in general, among your friends, folks that you might spend in the community, church, business, et cetera, who is that? And then take a look at the identities of those individuals and how diverse that set of people is or is not. And wonder if there's a way that you could actually make some overtures and try and diversify your perspectives and think about who else you might want to start to build a relationship with that might be on a team that might be in your workplace that's got a little bit different perspective than you. It could be race and ethnicity. It could be sexual orientation. It could simply be came from a different university or came from a different um, background, country, what have you. But somehow, um, if you invest in broadening your own circle a little bit, you just learn a bit more about individuals and you learn a little bit more about how to help others feel more included. So I think that's one tactical item that we've been encouraging folks to do. And then the second one, I think, is that recognize that we all are going to make mistakes, if you will, on this journey of trying to be more inclusive and to be a little bit kinder to ourselves. We can't disengage because I I hear people say to me, I don't say anything anymore because I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. And I'm like, that is when we start to lose this game. That is when we're not actually making progress as an organization. We are all humans and we're all going to make mistakes. And oftentimes it's from a lack of knowledge, not because of an intention to be cruel or to harm someone. So being confident enough to be able to say, I might not get this right, but I have this question, or I said that I'm not sure that hit you the right way. Having a go-to phrase or two and not being afraid to say, I'm sorry, I did not mean that to harm you. And so I will do better. Can you help me learn what else I could say the next time? And recognize that there's just an opportunity to learn from one another and to engage a bit more courageously and not be afraid of making mistakes because that is the only way that we build bridges and start to actually have a a more inclusive community. I think Julie has covered a whole host of options there. I think the education piece is incredibly important and we're realizing, you know, it's a lot of it is what, you know, it's the sort of formative years of your life that bring about the sort of changes between us. And I think that understanding the differences, sitting around the table with, simply sitting around the table with individuals that don't look and feel like you, brings about a level of learning that is totally unexpected. Such a simple thing to do, but in reality, it doesn't happen. But um, when you join a new organisation, you you don't quite know what to expect and you don't know how people uh, will feel about the sort of, you know, the, the, the new kid on the block, if you like, um, particularly as an Asian woman in financial services. So, you know, this is not about the Bain culture, but similar to many organisations and professional services organisations in particular, there are not very many women in financial services and very few ethnic minority women. I have to turn it on its head and in all honesty, and to be very transparent with you both, I've actually found that that has worked extremely well for me because people remember who you are (laughs) and you have a conversation with somebody and people, you know, there are very few people that have probably, one, got my name and two, um, have, have, have the background I do. And I found that with clients as well in financial services. Somebody said to me the other day that you're very well networked in the FS industry. And I said, I don't think it's about me being well networked. I think it's actually because people remember who I am because there are so few of us, um, particularly women and those from minority background. So what have I done to feel, to make myself be included? And as a partner in the organization, obviously the onus is is much more new, although the firm does a fabulous job of um, some very structured integration as well. Um, It's just getting out there and and doing what I feel best. And I think there's an observing and learning piece when you're absorbing a new culture. Um, And then I think it's getting out there and doing what you do best. And that is 
getting your hands dirty, rolling up your sleeves and making your team. I think the, the team piece is really important. And Julie alluded to this a few times and I don't not sort of, um, I don't dismiss this at all. Actually, if your team love you, I think everybody else around you just then comes together very much and very quickly. And I think it's making them feel very valued and respected, but also bringing your whole self to the new place. So your vulnerabilities, your the fact that you are a newbie and not being shy of it and that you don't know everything. But also, you know, I think there's a there's an element of bringing the very best of you, but your authentic self. And I don't think I left that behind um, when I come to Bain every day. It can take courage, especially in a place I haven't spent any time inside the, the walls of Bain. But, you know, from an outsider's perspective, it is an organization that I perceive to be kind of very polished, right? It, it's a very pedigreed, well-regarded organization. And, and the thought of myself stepping in and all of my messiness and my realness, I could see how that might feel intimidating. But I think having the courage both to do it and to role model it and to show that it's not just okay or safe, but it's actually there's an imperative and it's celebrated. I think that that speaks volumes, Nishma. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I think maybe for giving us all permission to, to do the same. Absolutely. And I would say, I was glad to say that I think, you know, any organization that's really working on growth and innovation and attracting and retaining the world's best talent needs to look itself in the mirror and talk about the fact that we've got to find ways to be more accessible, more permeable, and more willing to evolve with the talent base that we want to attract, retain, develop, and grow. And so I think that we've been really focused on that as an organization, but also with my clients, we work on this is saying we need to be making sure that the types of imagery we give off in the marketplace, that we're actually counteracting anything that would make people feel like they're not welcome here. Because honestly, we're only going to get where we need to go if we can keep attracting different types of folks and then find ways for them to work together in unique and different ways to drive real insight and outcome. So I have one last question I would love for each of you to answer. I will leave it to you to volunteer who goes first, but here goes. So I consider myself an aspiring optimist, but if I'm honest, I do have some cynical, natural tendencies, uh, but I'm working on it. And I would love for each of you to share sort of the, the finding that you've come across recently that leaves you feeling kind of the most hopeful and the most optimistic about their direction that we're heading in. Um, that's a great question. I will, I will take a shot at it um, and sort of say like, so I think there's maybe um, a lovely, the finding we've come across. So the thing that makes me most optimistic, honestly, is recognizing the power of the individual in really changing the opportunity for a team. And so this idea of that inclusion and a sense of belonging is something everybody wants. And if you know that in your heart, then I think that emboldens you as an individual to talk about how do I in my right now environment, try and be additive to the feeling of belonging that I have and to those around me that they have. And that it is not just we have to wait for the C-suite to role model and cascade downward. That's, of course, a key enabler. But that actually, I have the power right now in my own little group that I spend most of my working day with to make a difference, to get to know my teammates a little bit better, to drive my own sense of belonging and value and also create an opportunity for others. And so when you realize that the opportunity to move the needle can lay with the masses, if you will, and all of us have an opportunity to do that for ourselves, that gives me great hope that we can keep building momentum and keep making progress here. 
Yeah, I, I would. I'm an, you know, I'm an optimist um, by nature, Rachel. So I think the answer would generally go that way. Look, I think that uh, we know that some of the most successful firms, you know, across the industry are those in the vanguard of making this change happen. So it's crystal clear and the research and the data and all of the evidence that we have, that case for change is so apparent and so compelling. But a couple of things, actually, from a European, slightly European perspective, um, it's it's so urgent now in the post-Brexit era, particularly in the UK for us, that as, as our sort of sector forges its new future and seeks to remain in the forefront of the industry worldwide, where the UK has been for a long time, we know it's about talent, right? So we know that if we don't do the right thing, we're going to be leaving a lot of that talent behind. And I think that that entire case makes it even more compelling and and leaders are on board with that. A number of organisations I spoke to through the work that we did on the blueprint, but more broadly, um, some of what they've done is so very impressive. You know, if you take MasterCard, for example, they closed the gender pay gap by by taking a very bold move of reviewing and amending compensation for every woman in their organisation. I mean, we just need a few more organisations to do that. And it makes me feel really optimistic about, about the future. Um, one of the things that Julie I and a number of others have been working on, actually, is, is creating the Baines Female CEO Club, which is a genuine industry first. And if I was to say to you, Rachel, so many women, CEOs and CEO minus ones, have come to us and said, we want to be part of this initiative. We want to foster greater collaboration, support, share ambitions, strategies champion the next generation in the way that they're championing their own time. They know that this is a game changer and it's so uh, refreshing to see uh, how involved, you know, that level of seniority is in what we're trying to do in the market. So I'm feeling very optimistic and it's simply not good enough to be moving a percentage point every year anymore. I think that is a lovely note to close on. And Julie and Nishma, thank you so much for your important work, for sharing it with the world, and for joining me on Modern Mentor today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Rachel. It's our pleasure as well. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Julie and Nishma. I took so much actionable goodness away from this conversation, and I hope you did as well. I hope you'll join me next week for another great episode. Until then... You can follow Modern Mentor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out my website at leadabovenoise.com or follow me on the Modern Mentor podcast page on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening and have a successful week. Modern Mentor is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Firebend with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. And our intern is Brendan Pika. The Quick and Dirty Tips Network is a division of Macmillan Publishers. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com.
The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.